So now I'll be preaching from the book of 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. And I'll be reading verses 4 and 5 for continuity. But our focus tonight will be verse number 5. But beginning in verse number 4, the Bible says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for salvation. Thank you for your precious blood that you shed on Calvary's cross so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. Dear Lord, we are humbled by the fact that you would love us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Dear Lord, I pray that your love and sacrifice towards us will motivate us and help us to love you more and more each day and that we'll serve you with every fiber of our being. Lord, I pray tonight as your word goes forth that you would use it to strengthen hearts, to edify, and I pray that it would provide conviction as well where you would see it fit. I pray that if there's someone here tonight who does not know you as personal Lord and Savior, that tonight will be the night of their salvation. And I pray, dear Lord, that in everything you'll be honored and glorified and well-pleased. Take full control. Have your divine way. Cleanse me of sin. Empty me of self. Fill me with the precious Holy Spirit that I may preach what thus said the Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. The increasing use of technology in this 21st century has led to more and more, if you will, remote activity as we utilize these devices such as cell phones and tablets, computers. But with the increasing use of these devices that don't require that human interaction, that human touch, there's a greater need for what is called internet security. Internet security and fraud prevention strategies and policies. It is easier because you're not interacting with people and you're somewhat behind a, a screen, isolated, and at least not in the view of another person, it is easy for those who would desire to pretend to be someone who they're not. And such has brought about the need for what we call authentication, meaning to confirm who you are through the use of passwords and security questions and even what is now called, or what is called, biometrics. Just recently, I was a victim of credit card fraud. And I'm sure others of you can identify with getting your credit card statement or looking at your account online and seeing a transaction that you know you did not make. 
somewhere in a place where you've never been. A currency that you don't utilize, but yet your credit card has been charged. Because someone pretended to be someone who they're not. And that you would experience and realize that that is why banks and credit card companies are implementing more and more restrictive measures for you to identify who you are because no longer is it required to show your face. And even when you show your face, sometimes they're still asking you for two and three forms of ID because they must verify and confirm who you are. Authenticating who you are. But tonight, I want to submit to you that just as there are fraudulent practices conducted by people to acquire money and access to resources and places, there are also people who fraudulently, if you will, pretend to be born-again believers when in actuality, they're not. The ability to distinguish and identify who is a believer and who is not, I will tell you, it is not always possible. And it's not always easy as well. But I will say to all of us tonight that it can be very important to be able to determine who is saved and who is not. You say, Pastor, why is that? Shouldn't we just be concerned with ourselves? After all, if you have to identify whether a person is saved or lost, you just might be venturing down the dangerous part, path of being judgmental. You only need to come be concerned about yourself. Well, I want to draw your attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And I'm not suggesting by any means that you need to go through life and you need to uh, be scrutinizing people to determine who is saved and who is lost. But I just want to give you an instance where it is very important that you be able to, be de to determine rather whether a person is saved or lost, just in case you're wondering why they might be need to do so. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 14. The Bible says, be ye, what? Not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, and God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be your God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate, said the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Now, oftentimes when this scripture is quoted, it, it is used in a context where it is admonishing a believer that it is biblically wrong in accordance with God's will and desire for a believer to be saved to a person who is not a believer. My friend, that is scriptural. If you're getting married, guess what? You need to know beyond any shadow of a doubt if you are saved that that person is born again. Not pretending, not faking, 
Not fraudulent. That's just one example. But I want to draw your attention back, of course, to our text in John, 1 John chapter 5, where in this chapter, as we've been looking at for some time now, that John gives some proofs of salvation. Some things that you ought to be able to examine, of course, if you're entering into a relationship with a person close, one that would be identified as being yoked up. And also, this test and this proof, if you will, is also to reassure you of your own salvation, which is the most important. You ought to know beyond any shadow of a doubt that you are born again. And so these proofs are more importantly for the believer, for the child of God, to ensure that their calling and election is sure. So we saw first of all that the first proof proof rather that we've seen in these first few verses is that of conversion through the Savior. I cannot overemphasize, my friend, that when God saves you by his grace and by his mercy, there ought to be a change. Salvation is characterized by a transformation that takes place on the inside and shows up on the outside. We've seen that this is a decision that's personal. It's a divine process. It is one that is initiated by God based on your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There's devotion that passes. You love the Father, you're going to love the Son. You love the Son, you're going to love the Father. We saw that there's definite proof because we love God. It's a desirable practice. Listen, I'm glad I'm saved. You ought to be glad you're saved too. And this salvation comes with some dynamic power to overcome sin in this life. But tonight I want to focus on verse number five. And I want you to see in this verse that this conversion that takes place through the Savior makes you distinct people. My friend, there's something distinctive. We've seen this all throughout this epistle. Look at this verse. It says, who is he that overcometh the world? That, that, that question it's in and of itself is about to be answered and it's, it's, it's indicating to us that it's a particular person who is going to be equipped with that dynamic power that was referenced in verse number four. Who is he that overcometh the world? It's not just all and sundry. It's not just any person. It's not just some random selection. It's a particular distinctive type of person that will overcome sin, my friend. And the verse continues to answer. And it says, But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen. Notice, first of all, as it relates to distinct people, notice that there's a personal aspect to this. It says, but, what's that next word? He. He is a personal pronoun to refer to a specific person. Uh, This could have been substituted with she as well. He or she, of course. 
But I wanted to want us to understand that salvation is an individually given gift. It is a personalized gift. If you receive salvation, isn't that salvation, uh, even though it's available to all, it had your name on it. And it's a gift that cannot be transferred. You can re-gift it to somebody else. You know, some engage in re-gifting at Christmas. I got this gift and I didn't want it. Let me repackage it and give it to somebody else and make them feel happy. I'm not going to look facts for a show of hands tonight. But this gift of salvation cannot be transferred. It cannot be regifted. Listen, it cannot be willed to you and you can will it to somebody else. Let me tell you something else about this gift. It's not a group gift. You know, you get some gifts at times for Christmas and like they're for the house. You know? It's for, it's for the family. It's, it, it, it's for everybody. No, this is a gift for a particular person. Sometimes we go to our parents' house, as I guess you would have picked up from time to time in this family. And you go to the house and there is some food or some specific item that's edible or some drink. And somebody asks a question, who does this belong to? And you get the answer. It's, it's, it's for the house, so you know what that means? Anybody could take it up. And you'll be free. Anybody can claim it. You go to a restaurant and they say, you know what? This one is on the house. My friend, when it comes to salvation, salvation is never on the house. It's specific. It's personal. That's why you ought to appreciate your salvation. If you were the only person on planet earth, Jesus would have died just for you. It's personal. But here's something else I want you to notice about being able to claim this very distinctive gift. There has to be persuasion. Persuasion. Personal. We saw that. But it also has to be your personal persuasion. Look at that verse again. He says, he that what? Believeth. You must believe in your heart of hearts. In other words, a person must be convinced of something. Which we're going to get to. My friend, belief is powerful. Belief is so powerful that belief is what determines where you will spend eternity. Think about that for a minute. To believe or not to believe, that is the question. God did not set up a requirement for salvation that's based on your good or our good outweighing the bad. He established a requirement of belief. That should say to us how powerful belief really is. But on the contrary, many look at this, this, this aspect of belief and come to the conclusion, no way, man, it, it can't be that easy. That's too easy. 
But it's not that it's easy. It's that belief is God's requirement. You see, my friend, when we understand what belief really does and what true belief really is, we would understand that belief that is heartfelt affects behavior. That's why Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a reward of them that diligently seek him uh, because James follows that up to say, listen, that faith without works is dead. So there has to be a persuasion. There has to be a conviction there has to be a heartfelt belief that, listen, no matter what you may say, listen, I believe this with all my heart. Not just my head. Listen, there's some things that there's no person on this earth could convince you to do because you believe otherwise. Belief is powerful. Belief determines what people do. And when it comes to salvation, salvation hinges on belief. But notice, not only the fact that there's this personal aspect, there's persuasion, but notice the belief has to be in a person. All of us have the capacity to believe. But believe what? It says, he that believeth that Jesus. I want us to stop there for a minute. Because the belief, my friend, must be in a specific person. This is non-negotiable. It doesn't matter a person's background, their race, their nationality, their creed, their status. My friend, salvation is found only in one person and his name is Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. This is not bias. This is not partiality. It's just simply, my friend, when it comes to salvation, there is only one As a born-again believer, you don't have to apologize for saying that there is no other way. That's what the Bible says. And if you're going to believe the Bible, you have to proclaim there is only one way. Jesus himself speaking while he ministered here on earth in John's Gospel, chapter 14, speaking of himself in verse number 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by what? Me. He said it of himself. And my friend, this is why you ought to be convinced of your salvation and your salvation and your faith in Christ. Because you can't believe Jesus for some things and not other things. You can't believe that Jesus came to this earth to die on Calvary's cross, uh, to suffer and bleed and die so you can have salvation and then not believe when he, speaking of himself, says, I am the only way. 
You either believe in him or you don't. So there has to be belief in a person. But notice finally, tonight, you also have to believe in his position. Look at what that verse is. Believeth that Jesus is present tense the son of God. Jesus is not just a good man but he is the God man. He's no less God than God the father. He's the second person of the Godhead. He has no beginning. He has no ending, my friend. His existence is from eternity past to eternity future. I want to draw your attention in closing tonight to John's Gospel, chapter 10. And I want you to understand that this was the struggle, the, the battle, the continuous contention that Jesus had with the religious leaders of his day. This, my friend, claimed that he is the son of God is what caused them to nail him to the cross. They thought to themselves, this is blasphemy. How could you? Because they felt that he was clearly, without question, equating himself with God. Don't let the word son cause you to think that Jesus was saying that he's less than God the Father. He was not. And they understood the message very, very clearly. I want us to look at these verses because there are some people who proclaim that Jesus never said that he was God. If Jesus never said he was God, he would not have been crucified. Look at verse number 30. Look at these verses very carefully and understand who Jesus was claiming that he was and is. John chapter 10 and verse 30. He says, I and my father are one. Look at the next verse. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, many good works have I showed you from my father. For which of these works do he stone me? The Jews answered him saying, for a good work we stone thee not. They're like, listen, you can do good works. Listen, we, we, we're not going to be upset about that. Keep on healing people. Keep on performing miracles. Keep on feeling, feeding people. That, that helps the economy. It reduces the cost of living. But for blasphemy, that's why we stone you. And because that thou being a man, look at this, makest thyself God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said, ye are gods. If he called them gods unto whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and I sent and sent into the world, thou blasphemous, because I said I am the Son of God. 
Jesus was saying in reference to another passage, listen, that the Bible says, ye are little gods, little G-O-D. In other words, you have the capacity, you're created in God's image. You can, you can function. You, you have a, you're, 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 you're an image bearer of God. But I am the son of God. He says, if I do not the works of my father, believe me not. But if I do, through though ye believe me, not me, believe the works that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. He was saying, listen, I am God the Son. I am the Son of God. My position is indisputable. Look at verse number 39. Therefore they sought again. I mean, how many times are they going to try? to take him, but he escaped out of their hand. My friend, salvation comes about when a person, man, woman, boy, or girl, recognizes who Jesus really is and believes in that reality without question, accepts that fact in their heart. And my friend, when you think about who Jesus is, now he's not a king, he's not a prime minister, he's not a premier, he's not a president, but he's the God of the universe, my friend, if you truly believe that in your heart, listen, you will fall before him. When Isaiah says, I looked up and I saw him high and lifted up. When he saw God for who he was, he fell down on his face and he says, Woe is me! I'm a man of unclean lips! That's what true belief in the heart does. It makes a difference. And it produces a changed life. It causes us to be distinct. That's why in 1 John chapter 5, in verse number 5, he says, Who is he that overcometh the world? How are you able to, as a human being born of a woman, shapen in iniquity, born in sin, how can you overcome sin is through the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't overcome something unless you have power that's greater than the thing that you're overcome by. And thank God that we can be transformed. We can be distinct. We can overcome this disease that we've been plagued with, this nature, because there's one greater. Greater is he that is in us than he that is what? In the world. But it has to be based on a heartfelt belief that Jesus is not just a prophet, not just a teacher, not just one who did good works, but he is 
the one who created all things and in him all things consist. Jesus is not the second class God in the Godhead. He's equal, co-eternal. And when we recognize who he is, it impacts our lives, impact our, impacts our heart, and impact our actions before this great and awesome God. Thank God for salvation. And thank God that when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he does a work of transformation, a work of conversion in our hearts to help us to be what he'd have us to be. 